Hello Saints, Todd here with SafeguardYourSoul.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are so blessed to have these moments together in the Word of God. And remember, Saints, there's nothing, there's nothing, no thing happening on God's planet that is even remotely as important as the work of the gospel and feeding the sheep of Jesus Christ for whom he died to save so that they can grow in grace, they can be edified, they can be equipped for the work of the ministry according to the scriptures. And let me just guarantee you this one thing, by the grace of God, this outreach will continue to unapologetically endeavor to preach the whole of the word of God, regardless of who gets offended or not in Jesus name. And please remember that your prayers and support are vital to this operation. Thank you. In Ezekiel chapter 20, we have a recounting of the Lord concerning the rebellion of his people as he brought them out of Egypt on their way to the promised land. In other words, the land that God has promised. And I'm afraid that so many of us who, like Israel, have been saved and God promises a myriad of blessings and benefits through the so great salvation of Christ with the perfect blood of a lamb shed on the cross of Calvary to pay for all our sins. It is finished and the throne of grace set up in heaven for us to continue to go to for receiving mercy as needed and grace to help in time of need. But like the Israelites, we continue to dabble in our sins and we continue to keep our eyes upon the world instead of Christ, setting our affection on things above, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Notice in verse 8 here, Ezekiel 20, verse 8, I want you to read this whole chapter. It says, But they rebelled against me and would not hearken unto me, and they did not every man cast away the abomination of their eyes. Notice the abominations of their eyes. Neither did they forsake the idols of Egypt, Egypt representing the world. See, we're bringing in here the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, which Jesus spoke of in Mark 4, verse 17 through 19. Notice the lust of the eyes. Actually, that's 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. Let's start in verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things. Notice love not the world, Egypt. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The world, the scripture says, uh, the God of this world, small g, temporarily is Satan himself. And so he conducts the business of evil in this fallen world. That's why we must come out from among them and be separate. That doesn't mean completely separating yourself from lost people, but come out from the world, from living as does the world, those who are without God. You've been bought with a price, friend. The Bible says you've been brought with a price and be not the servants of men or evil men's system. You've been bought with a price. You're here to glorify God in your body. 1 Corinthians 6 and 7. Then he says in verse 16, 1 John 2, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, 
but is of the world. Notice, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the only way to overcome, to not be controlled by the lust, the evil iniquities of our fallen nature, of the flesh, the eyes, and the pride, be consumed with the pride of life, which means Satan, who is the king of the children of pride, Job 41, is ruling over you, the God of this world. The only way to overcome is to obey the Father, who through Christ said that to follow him, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. You must have a crucified life. There is no other way, friends. That's the only way anything, any instruction as we're reading today is going to be brought to pass in your life is through the cross life, through you resigning yourself, admitting with God that there's no good thing that dwells in you, Romans 7, 18, and giving preference to the King of Kings to reign, to rule in your life. Amen. Jesus, you must increase, but I must decrease. Also, Galatians 2.20, that was John 3.30, scriptures like this, prayerfully. Let them roll out of our spirit, if you will, erupt out of our spirit, roll off of our tongue in prayer to God every morning as we get up to set in order or to be set in order of the Lord. Amen. And the cross has to be right planted right in the middle of all of that. It is the centerpiece of the original gospel, Christ's cross and the one he told you that you must take up to follow him. And that's why for so many years, friends, we've tried to obey. We've read, we've heard it preached, and we've tried to obey God's word. But it's not possible, if you've noticed, we all have, I believe, unless it's through the operation of the cross, through the crucified life where God is raising you up. Jesus, the resurrection and the life, John eleven twenty five, is raising you up out of that dead and buried posture with his grace, with his glory, with his power, with his grace, his divine enablement. That's how the Christian life works. Amen. So the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Not only will you abide forever in glory with the Father, your life on earth, no matter what you go through, as you obey God and put him first, and it just, let me just say this on a personal basis, and I know many of you relate with this, if not all of you, when you're doing the will of God, God. There's a settled peace. There's a clarity of conscience. Even if you've only tasted that for a little bit, you can never forget that blessing. Amen. And God intends for you to walk with a clear conscience, and he made the full provision for it through the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, the precious blood. And it even tells us that throughout the book of Hebrews, especially verses like Hebrews 9:14, that his blood will purge us from any dead work we've done to serve the living God, in order to be able to serve the living God with a clear conscience. Also, 1 Timothy 1.5, now the end of the commandment, in other words, the chief purpose of it, that is the word of God, is that we would have charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned, untainted, pure faith. And that comes out of a pure heart, which is something only God can grant, but he's not going to grant it to anyone who's not hungering and thirsting after his righteousness. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled 
And then right after that, Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. See, you're going to see God's hand. You're going to see God's direction. You're going to see God's wisdom as you lay your life before him and you seek his face. You hunger and thirst after his righteousness, and he's going to purify your heart, and you're going to be able to be led by him like you've never seen before. But you've got to seek the Lord in his strength and seek his face continually. First Chronicles 16, 11. Again, these verses are Matthew 5, verse 6 and 8, where we're, Jesus is speaking concerning the condition of hungering and thirsting after righteousness. We've got to get out of this I-go-to-church mindset. That was never of God in the first place, and most of us have been brought up in that. It's not about going to church on Sunday. What does that automatically put you in the posture of doing? Compartmentalizing your so-called Christianity. Man, Jesus said it's daily. If it's not daily, it's not at all. Only Jesus, who is our salvation, can define what it is. You don't go to church, beloved. You are the church. And you're set forth. You're in this world to worship him 24-7, 365. Hallelujah. Not just one day on Sunday where you're pleasing some man or people, in most cases, by showing your attendance there and to the Christian country club much of which has become a circus, and to the benefit of those who are running those conductors of that circus. And so when Israel was coming out of Egypt on their way to the promised land, they joined themselves unto Baal Peor. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, Numbers 25. I want you to read that chapter for yourself. I feel like my ministry is doing nothing unless it's getting you into God's word for yourself. Don't just listen to me. You read the Bible yourself, beloved, and obey God who said study. He tells you to study the show yourself to prove unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, Second Timothy 2. 15. Now, Balaam was responsible for this terrible corruption. He was a prophet, and he was ultimately responsible in what happened here in Numbers 25. All of Balak's rewards could not induce Balaam to curse Israel. Balaam wouldn't be bought off by Balak, who was king of Moab. You remember that in Genesis, Moab and Edom were the seed of Lot, whose daughters committed incest with him when they came out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And you can read about that in Genesis, beginning in chapter 18, 19, right in there. And uh, it produced two peoples, Moab and Edom. And so they were cursed foundations because they were begun in sin, in incest. So Balak was a king of Moab, described in the book of Numbers, where his dealings with the prophet Balaam are recounted here in Numbers. Balak tried to engage Balaam, prophet Balaam, the king Balak tried to engage the prophet Balaam for the purposes of cursing the migrating community of the children of Israel as they were on their way to the promised land. You know, God has so many promises for us, friends, and we all know that we haven't, you know, Paul even said he has not apprehended. Now, ultimately, the promise is to be with the Lord. You got to endure to the end for that to happen. But also the liberty, the blessings of being made free from all that would distract us from our relationship with him. We all know that there's much more freedom 
whom the Son has set free is free indeed. But in order for that to happen, you got to continue in his word, and then you will know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That's John 8, 31 and 32 and verse 36. And we all know that there's a promised land spiritually that lies ahead of us, and Satan is doing everything he can to keep us from it, doing laps in the desert. Some people listening to me have been caught up in some kind of iniquity for many, many years, and God is calling you out of that. And the only way it's going to happen is for you to truly repent and count Christ as the head of your life and not you. That's why you've been entangled in the sin, because you're not submitted to God. If you were, you'd be able to resist the devil and he would flee from you. The only reason why the devil has a foothold in your life and has control over it is because you're not truly submitted to God. And you, you know, in our deception, we think we're submitted to God because we go to church or we read the Bible. Listen, nothing happens till you die, friend. You're not obeying the Bible until you say, yes, Jesus, you must increase. I must Greek. Uh, decrease. Lord, you you reign in this life. I love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, not me. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ that liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You must increase, but I must decrease. And if you say those in with a sincere heart and prayer and the corresponding action. Now, here's where most people drop the ball is they will not die to self. They will not starve the flesh and feed the spirit. That's what fasting and prayer is all about. It is the cross. It's a Lord, you're going to increase in this life and I'm going to facilitate that by decreasing. Amen. And ask the Lord to anoint you to the death and burial of self, but do it. Isaiah 58. You really love God, you will. If you don't, you won't. Okay, so Balaam was responsible for this corruption. The rewards that were offered to him to curse Israel were refused by Balaam, the prophet, but they finally did persuade him to corrupt Israel by causing some of the people to commit harlotry and idolatry with the women of Moab. One guy, Zimri, I believe it was, in this chapter you're going to read about, they were committing lewdness, the children of Israel, with these women of Moab. You know, we got a lot of wild women out there today. We got a lot of whoremongers out there today. They're not looking for that one wife to have a monogamous marriage for life. They're chasing the skirt, as it's called. The Bible calls it whoremongers. Those women wouldn't be out there showing half their body. You know what I'm talking about. It's everywhere. It's getting worse. If there weren't a big audience that they're entertaining, that's just like the false prophets. We see them today and they are celebrated. If everybody didn't comply and stop watching them and feeding them their money, wasting it, it's going to be used against them in the judgment because they're giving to God's enemies. Hello. Those guys would be out of business. The only reason why they're in business, and it's big business, many of them bring in tens of millions of dollars a month because of the utter gullible fools who fund those frauds instead of supplying the true gospel laborers that Jesus said we're to pray that would be sent forth the end of Matthew 9. They're funding the enemies of Christ, which makes them the enemy of Christ and assure for hell as if they were already there. The scriptures guarantee this. You're going to receive a false prophet's reward, Matthew 10, about verse 41, 42, if you're supplying a false prophet. John, 2 John chapter, well, it's only one chapter, verse 10 and 11, says that you're going to receive 
the same judgment as the false teachers that you bid God speak to. What does that mean? Anything you do to support them, to get behind them, to patronize them, to show up at their meetings, to watch their messages, you're guilty 100%. God isn't playing, folks. It's time to live by the Word of God and not your human reasoning and your emotions and sentiments. Repent. Put an axe to the root. Let God be true and every man a liar. So often, as is the case we see here with Israel, if Satan can't succeed in a direct attack, he always has a backup, plan B, and he's going to try to succeed in an indirect plan or scheme. And we're not to be ignorant of his devices and seduction. Have you noticed that in your own life, beloved, where you might turn down something that came right at you? But because God's not finished working on us, sometimes we can have a kink in the armor and be vulnerable to be seduced in a roundabout way. You know, Satan never changes. All of his temptations are common to man. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, you'll notice in the Garden of Eden, what did he do? He didn't go to the man. He went to the woman. He went in a roundabout way to seduce the woman, to bring the man into sin. And there came the fall of the human race and sin entered in. All evil has been a result of that sin in the garden. Remember, there was no sin. Adam was made in the image of God. He was perfect and pristine. And so was Eve, who was taken out of his rib until they allowed themselves to be seduced into sin, which caused the fall of mankind. Remember, God is holy, holy, holy. He will not. The last time sin was found in heaven, it was immediately ejected. Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14, Luke 10, 18. I beheld Satan fall as lightning from heaven, Jesus said. As he recounted how this iniquitous, now fallen angel, once called Lucifer, now called the devil and Satan, etc., was ejected from eternal glory, from the presence of the Almighty God, who is holy, holy, holy. And don't you dare think for a minute that you have fellowship with the Lord or you're going to be with him eternally if your life is not set apart unto him. He's holy, holy, holy. He commanded you to be holy as he is holy. And he says that he has set apart the godly for himself. That is, he has sanctified them. Psalm chapter four, verse three. Okay. And you know, when the Lord saves you, Satan has traps set up for believers. Many of them will go to these churches that teach this abomination of once saved, always saved. Isn't that tragic? So Satan loses you to Jesus. And then the way he's going to come back and try to get you in an indirect attack is to, to seduce you to somehow believe that you're unconditionally eternally secure, which means that you have no further responsibility to engage in a worship-filled, faith-obedient relationship with Jesus. That's the lie he has told literally millions throughout the New Testament era, and even way before that, as we're seeing right here in Numbers 25, that they are secure with God, even if they live in sin. That is a lie from hell. And anybody teaching that, all Calvinists and once saved, always saved, People that teach that are absolutely wolves in sheep's clothing without exception. In fact, the book of Jude tells us to earnestly contend for the faith against such ungodly men who are turning the grace of God into lasciviousness or a license for sin. Okay, and reading a little bit more in Numbers 25, a 
monumentally important chapter. I want you to study yourself and get to know and share it with others, beloved. Verse 6, Numbers 25, And behold, one of the children of Israel, I mean, they were getting just bold and audacious with impunity in their wickedness. Behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianitish woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of congregation. They're seeking God, a certain portion of them. And this dude, his name is later identified as, I believe it's Zimri, brings a woman in the sight of Moses, within thin eyesight of him. And, well, you'll figure out what they were doing when you we read on here a little bit. Verse 7, and when Phineas, oh, don't we need more Phineases today, amen? The son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, saw it. He rose up from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand. And he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. So the plague was stayed from the children of Israel. Now, he stabbed the man in the back, and it went through the belly of this whorish woman, as this Zimri was a whoremonger. We so often are quick to call out the whore, but what about the whoremonger? These are Bible words, by the way, guys, and there'll be no whoremonger in heaven. Most or all of them of soul-damning sins in the New Testament include whoremongers. Any man looking at pornography is a whoremonger in the eyes of a holy God. Now, I'm not going to browbeat you. Listen, this is sin, you know it, lay down your life. That's the only way you're going to overcome. Only way. You will find a way to overcome that is in Christ if you have the will to do it. Let me say that. So Phineas is a man who smote sin vigilantly with no hesitation. And that's what we must be willing to do, not out of self-righteousness, but out of the zeal of the Lord, which should be consuming us and call out. Now, we're not going to go stab anybody, of course, but to call it out for what it is. If the Bible says it's a sin, it's a sin. Okay, if I've got sin in my life, I'm going to call it what the Bible calls it, not what I think it is. Well, it's just an affair. No, it's adultery. Well, it's just immorality. They were promiscuous. No, they were a fornicator. The Bible calls it a fornicator. We live by the King James Bible, not these fake Bibles, which have watered down everything, removed and perverted the, the Bible. They're not the Bible. They've desecrated the Word of God. They've added to and taken away, and they're cursed. Everyone involved in them is cursed. Their names have been removed from the Book of Life, and they're going to receive the plagues of Revelation, which include the Lake of Fire, Revelation 22, 18, and 19. We have God's Word on it. Have no part to do with that, friends. No. But we need to call sin what it is. It's not a white lie, it's a lie. And that's what Phineas was. He was a man of conviction, obviously. And he took a javelin in his hand, representing the Word of God to us spiritually. And he went and did the enemy in. He discomfited him, as the, the Bible says in the Old Testament several times. He upset the enemy. He put him down swiftly. He was vigilant. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Now, we bounced over to Numbers 25, but let's go ahead and finish here. And back in Ezekiel 20, which I want you to read that. There was so much more I wanted to get into. But listen, read that. I'm uh, Hopefully this time together, 
with you and I and the Word of God is going to whet your appetite to get on into these chapters and to uncover all the golden, beautiful nuggets of God's truth. Amen. Verse 8, let's read it again. Our main verse is Ezekiel 20, verse 8. But they rebelled against me, and God's speaking of Israel. When they came out of Egypt, God brought them out. That represents salvation. And then he was bringing them into the fullness of the salvation that he provided through Christ. But they rebelled. Many listening, again, you aren't seeing the freedom, the blessing, the fullness of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, which begins with love, joy, and peace, etc. There's nine dimensions of it. You're not seeing that, and it's because you're rebelling. Call it what it is. You are a rebel. You are a vile sinner who refuses to repent and let go of your idols. But they rebelled against me. It would not hearken unto me. They did not. Every man cast away the abomination of their eyes of their eyes. See, they continue to keep their eye gates flooded with the images of wickedness. Notice, and pornography comes to mind. Notice Job 31.1, I made a covenant with my eyes that why then should I think upon a maid? For what portion of God is there from above and what inheritance of the Almighty from on high? Is not destruction to the wicked and a strange punishment to the workers of iniquity? Yes. And if you keep your eyes on wickedness, as we read here, they did not every man cast away the abomination of their eyes. Ezekiel 20, verse 8. Like Job, they didn't say, I'm going to make a covenant, a decision right now. And I am not going to think upon and put my eyes upon a maid. Listen, guys, this is a huge test. And we could talk a lot about when I'm having fellowship with the brothers locally, we have these man conversations, all sanctified in the word of God. But God gave men attraction toward women. That's his doing, not ours. You can't deny that. And yet he gave you parameters for that. And that is all of your energy should be going into preparing to be, first of all, as his disciple. That's your core identity. First and foremost, priority. You should be preparing for what he ordained you to be. And that's a husband and a father. And I've been telling these guys straight out, as I tell myself, it's Bible 101, Genesis 101. God created you to know him, to walk with him, and to be a husband and a father, praise the Lord. And that's why you have so many unfulfilled men and women in life today. Have you noticed the miserable state? Why? They're doing something else other than what God made them to do. The women are trying to be the men. And there's the great attempt to feminize the men. In fact, the, the transformed wife put out something this week that a huge percentage of the women, married women, among the divorces, by the way, over 70% of divorces are initiated by the woman. And part of the reasons, as the stats show, is because, speaking of the blurring and the perverting switching of the roles, which is Satan's doing, and he can only do that as we don't obey God's order. But what's happening is when men's duties around the house, when they, listen, the Bible says the woman is the keeper at home. You don't like it, argue with God, Jezebel, Titus 2, 5. Wicked one, repent, repent. You work out there, good, you're still responsible to be the keeper at home. You, not the man. But when the man is doing half the work in the home, the divorce rate skyrockets. Are we surprised? No. You're taking away the, the role God put in them from them, and that's not going to have good results. Gentlemen, if somebody took away your role, how would you feel? Lemuel's mother, a wise, godly woman, told his her little boy when he was a little boy, give not your strength to women. Do not give your strength to women. And there's a lot taken in there, and I want you to go study that. It's Proverbs 31. Now, we 
we all think Proverbs 31, we all think, wow, that's the virtuous woman. chapter. It sure is. And by the way, what not a wonderful woman and beautiful picture of godly women. They're anything but oppressed. They're buying and selling land. They're creating their own wardrobe for their family and perhaps to sell some. That's a very industrious woman right there. Satan has lied to us so much. We are A to Z been lied to. And that's why studying the Bible, and I would recommend Sister Lori Alexander's memes. They're just little memes that are an education, a big education that we don't see out there today. She's teaching the younger women as God commanded women to do. I don't care if you're 20 years old, ma'am. you got younger girls that need to hear the truth of a virtuous woman as defined by Holy Scripture. Do it. So her memes are just fantastic. You're going to love it. If you're a woman of truth, you're going to love it. The wicked hate it. I mean, you, hell has seen no fury like a Jezebel. So we got off on that. I'm sorry. But anyway, our main topic here is whoremongering. Whoremongering. It's not our main topic so much as this is being identified here. The children of Israel, they did not cast away the abomination of their eyes. And so there's other scripture that speaks to this, including Psalm chapter 101. Notice this where the psalmist said he would put no wicked thing before his eyes. See, God's watching us everywhere we are, and he says he blesses the habitation of the just, but the curse of the Lord is in the house, notice, the home of the wicked. What does God see when his eyes scan back and forth, run to and fro in the earth? What is he seeing in your home? Men might not see it, but what is he seeing in your privacy, in your alone time? Notice Psalm 101, it's only eight verses. Let's read a few of these. I will sing. I love this one. Psalm 101. I will sing of mercy and judgment. Notice he's going to sing of mercy and judge. Uh-oh. You know, the only songs we hear that are called Christian today have no judgment in them. No fear of God, no cross, nothing. It's all about mercy and love. You know what I mean? But the Bible says in Romans 11, 20 through 22, that you are to behold the goodness and the severity of God. And if you don't have the severity of God, the judgment of God, the fear of God, if you're not afraid of him, if you go back into sin, you are not a balanced believer at all. We are to behold the goodness and severity of God. Shut your mouth, shut your mind, repent and stop living out of your emotions and sentiments and obey God. Recently, a guy I know said, man, there's a lot of strong, harsh stuff on your site right now. I noticed the top eight posts, you know, persecution, witchcraft, all of this stuff. The big question, my answer to him was, wait a minute, is that biblical? Tell me which part of that, those titles and those messages is not biblical. I don't want to hear your foolishness. If it's biblical, why are you speaking against it? Compromised with the world, lukewarm at best rebellious. It's not harsh. It's truth. By the way, people have never in New Testament history needed more of the severity of God than they do now. Jesus said, I will tell you who you shall fear. He commanded it. Fear him, which after he has killed you is able to cast your body into hell. Luke 12, four and five. I will sing of mercy and judgment unto thee. O Lord, will I sing. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. God, make us circumspect. Amen. Abstaining from all appearance of evil. Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. So what he's saying is, Lord, I want you to come visit me. I want a greater increase of your spirit. And he was willing to facilitate it because he meant what he said. His heart was close to God. So many today, their lips draw nigh to God, but their hearts are far from him. Just like the false religionist 
of Christ day. He said, I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. Amen. Why? Because he wanted more of the Lord. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Notice that. Verse 3. 3a, verse 3, Psalm 101.3. And that's what we're reading right here in Ezekiel. They did not, every man, cast away the abomination of their eyes. Neither did they forsake the idols of Egypt or the world. And what are the idols of the world? One of them is lust, adultery. Jesus said, this is a sinful and adulterous generation we live in. Matthew 12, the lusting after the female form, which God made you to be attracted to, but he didn't call you to lust after it and take it out of the context of a holy matrimony marriage between one man and one woman. That's when it gets all turned loose. And as we see in the Song of Solomon, God is the one that invented it. And it is specific, explicit, and it's ecstasy. And that's what he designed it to be. It's a picture of him and the church. But that can't happen and won't happen. God's not going to bless you, sir, with a godly woman if you're not living godly right now before his eyes, like we're reading here in Psalm 101. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. He had just said, I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. You know what? God's going to reward you according to your own righteousness, he said in his word. But brother, that sounds like you're earning it. No, you're not earning it, but there are conditions to his blessings. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, in other words, you're obeying him, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Your prayer is going to be answered because you asked in the name of Jesus with a life that's worshiping him in spirit and in truth and not covering sin and trying to get a prayer answered while you're living outside of his will. It's not going to happen. We know that we have our prayers answered, First John says, because we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Read the book of First John. God sees right through it all, guys. And the psalmist knew it. How do we expect God to answer our prayer for a godly husband, ladies, or a godly wife, gentlemen, if we're not walking in the steps of the patriarchs, which are in Scripture, in order for us to learn? Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. Amen. That we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Romans 15, 4. So I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave unto me. I'm not going to have any part of the world. I'm not going to be tainted by it. I'm coming out from among them. I'm going to be separate. I'm going to present my body a living sacrifice unto God every day, holy and and acceptable unto God, as I look for the soon return of Jesus. Amen. A forward heart, he says in verse 4, Psalm 101, shall depart from me. I will not no, a wicked person. I'm not fellowship with no wicked people. They, they want to be wicked. They want to love darkness rather than light. They can do that by themselves. I'm not going to get around it because God said, be separate, be separate. And that stuff will get off on you. Evil communications corrupt good manners. First Corinthians chapter 15, 33. Who, who so privileged, and he talks about slandering and God will cut you off. Then he says, verse six, mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land. God's promise is that his eyes are going to be upon the faithful of the land. Well, who are the faithful? Back up a little bit. He said, I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set no wicked things before my eyes. That's who he's talking about. Then God says, mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land. His eyes run to and fro and throughout the whole earth, looking for someone, anyone that he could show himself strong through, whose heart is perfect toward him. Second Chronicles 16, 9, mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land that they may dwell with me. 
Amen. How many people want to be one with the Father in Christ and his body? John 17. That should be our prayer every day, saints, and have an abiding relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. John 15. Then he says, verse 6, He that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. I will early destroy all the wicked of the land, that I may cut off all wicked doers from the city of the Lord. That's the new Jerusalem. That's eternal glory with God. And this is reflection in a precursor to what he says in Revelation, where he says, the fearful, the abominable, the adulterers, the whoremongers, the fornicators, the thieves, the liars, the murderers, they're all going to be cast into the lake of fire. In other words, they're not going to the new Jerusalem which is coming down out of heaven, which is what Revelation 21 is all about. And he says there, right there in verse 8, he gives a whole list of sinful people who refuse to to repent, like these men of Israel who God had saved. See, he had saved them. That's what the picture is coming out of Egypt. You get saved. Egypt's the world. You're translated into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're no longer of the world, but then they rebelled. And that's what's happened as we look around us, and many of you perhaps listening to me, after God saved you, like myself, you dabbled in sin along the way. God's calling for a total end to that and a zero tolerance for it and a complete reliance upon him to be poor in spirit, to hunger and thirst after his righteousness, to let him purify your heart, Psalm 51, and put an axe to the root, cut off the hand, pluck out the eye that causes you to offend, lest your whole body be cast into hell. And let me just make it clear right here, as does scripture. And that's the only reason why I'm going to say it. You're going to hell if you die in sin. Boom. Mark 9, 43 through 49. Repent now, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus. Don't set yourself, your eyes upon these wicked things that God calls an abomination and then dress it up as if it's okay. He that covereth the sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesses and forsakes them and forsakes them shall have mercy. When you repent, you're going to bring forth fruit, meat, or consistent with proving that true repentance, and you're going to have a changed life. And then when anybody else comes up to you and says something about a past sin, you're going to say, hey, buddy, I don't live there anymore. God has delivered me. But God's only going to deliver you from the power of sin and Satan as you submit yourself to him in repentance, true repentance, turning fully to him. And at that point, you're going to be full of the spirit. He's going to come in and you're going to be led. And if you will follow, you're going to crucify the flesh daily. I don't know how you're going to make it without fasting. I don't know how you're going to make it. I don't believe you are because I believe you love yourself, not the Savior. Jesus said, when you fast, not if you fast. Matthew 6, 16, Isaiah 58. Get into it, obey it, learn it. We've got a whole category on fasting and prayer on safeguardyoursoul.com. He finishes this verse. Again, read Ezekiel 20. That's our main text today. We didn't get very far, but I think it could whet your appetite to read all about Israel so you can learn from the mistakes of others. Have you noticed that in life? Yeah. Jesus in Matthew 23, that's one of the ways Jesus taught. He taught, don't be like them. He told his disciples that several times in the gospel. Matthew 23 is a detailed lambasting of how you do not want to live. That is like a religious hypocrite who has the outside of the cup clean, 
but inside you are full of all kinds of wickedness. And God sees right through it all. There's nothing his eyes don't see. He's looking on the heart. The psalmist knew that Psalm 101 is a clear reflection that he knew God sees everything. And therefore he said, I will walk within my house. That is when no man sees me. That's what that represents. But God sees me and I'm going to live pleasurably before him. Amen. So God then says in verse eight, I will pour out my fury upon them to accomplish my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. So they're not even going to make it to the promised land, many of them, and which many of them did not because of their sin. And many or some listening to me, you're not at a place where you're ready to meet Jesus. If he came back today, you're in trouble and he's going to unleash his fury upon you. And as this chapter, as you read it, you're going to see God went out of his way over and over to accommodate them, to forgive them. He's done that with you and I, but where are you now? Where are you now? Are you going to repent or are you going to perish? Because Jesus said, unless you repent, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Verse 12, moreover, also, Ezekiel 20, 12, I gave them my Sabbath that represents rest. That's what it means to be a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord that sanctified them. Now notice the Sabbath. Jesus Christ is the Sabbath of the new covenant. Hebrews chapter four, etc. We rest in him from trying to keep the law to be righteous. And that's where God's calling you right now is to let go and let God to truly release your life into his hand and to say today, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Not my will, Lord, but thine be done. Today, Lord, I come before you with words of confession, returning to you and for my rebellion. God, please forgive me. Right now, I rend my heart and not my garment, not the outward, but the inward first. I turn to you, Lord, and I thank you that you're gracious, you're merciful, and you're slow to anger, and you're of great kindness, and you repent of the evil. In other words, that means he will turn away from the wrath that he was going to pour out on you because you repented. And he's not willing that any should perish. And friend, you need to see that as a personal promise to you. He's not willing that you perish. You're only going to perish if you don't follow his will, his word. Turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. That's Job 2, verse 12 and 13 that we just prayed together. God bless you, friends. I'm glad we had these moments together. And we do covet your prayers for the supply and the fruitfulness of this outreach as we look for the soon return of Jesus. Remember, we've got a new book full of scripture. That's all that really matters. On the topic of ready for the Lord's return, check it out on safeguardyoursoul.com, the store page. God bless you. Well, brothers and sisters, it's been a blessing to spend these moments with you in the Word of God. And remember, there's hundreds of more Christ-centered, scripture-rich, edifying podcasts on safeguardyoursoul.com forward slash all Audios. There's also a store page with several many books on there for your edification in Christ. They're all scripture rich and Christ centered. Also, tens of thousands of saints and sinners are being reached every month, and your prayers are coveted for the fruitfulness and supply of this outreach. God be praised, by the way, for those who are supporting. And feel free to visit our donate page on the site, and you can use your debit card, PayPal, or Patreon, and you can become a monthly sustaining member if you choose to do so and a gift of any amount is so appreciated part of this outreach is to equip and supply other ministering disciples across 
our great country and all over the world. And may God be praised that there's fruitfulness happening among his people and through his beloved saints as we know that the return of our Lord Jesus Christ draws nigh. And we say together in the words of Revelation 22, even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.